Hello, fellow foodies. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Cassandra Quave, and you are listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. So we've talked a lot about the health impact of a plant-based or plant-forward diet on the show. And while my own personal desire is for people to learn how to grow as many of their own foods as possible and cook and consume whole plants, the reality is that with our busy lives that we have today, many folks need a simpler solution um, for easy, fast meal prep and a healthier solution for, for meal prep. And this is where I think some exciting innovations in plant-based foods um, can come into play. So this week, we're going to dive deeper into this area of plant-based meat substitutes. Um, This is a really exciting space in the food industry, um, and it's experiencing a ton of rapid growth in the market. Our guest today is Jody Boyman. Jody is an entrepreneur and lifelong advocate for sustainable food practices, healthy eating, and animal welfare. She has a background in whole food, plant-based nutrition, marketing, and sales, and as co-founder and chief purpose officer of Hungry Planet, and fueled by the firsthand challenges of eating plant-based since childhood and raising plant-based children, she is bringing to market the first full range of chef-crafted plant-based meats that are delicious and nutritious. So it's great to have you on the show today, Jody. And I'm wondering if we can just start with maybe some of the basics. Like, can you tell us, you know, what exactly are plant-based meats? So plant-based meats are meats that just happen to be made directly from plants. And we have sort of disintermediated the animal from the equation. Um, So we started out when we were developing them with four core sensory and health pillars. We wanted um, something that was sustainable, something that had great texture, that had fantastic taste, and of course was nutritious. This is very important to us. And then on top of that, we applied four key product design principles. So it had to handle, it had to prepare, it had to store, and it had to cook just like conventional meat. And it had to move through the entire supply chain like conventional meat does so that it would have easy adoption. Cool. And so when you think about the whole span of animal meats, like what represents the largest share of the marketplace? I always think of chicken, like we eat a lot of chicken. Is, is that the most common like meat protein or are there others? Like what are you, what are you working towards substituting? Yeah. So, you know, we are hungry planet, not hungry St. Louis where we're based or hungry Santa Barbara where I am based. Um, so we did look at the total addressable market globally And we learned that actually pork accounts for 36%, and then poultry is next at 35%, and then beef follows that at only 22%, and then the other proteins are the remaining seven. So we realized it was much more than a beef and a burger play, which, you know, some of the larger companies um, got involved with early on and started educating the market. But our company is much more than that. We are much more than a beef and burger play. And, you know, we have come out with um, chicken and beef and pork and lamb and turkey and crab, breakfast sausage, Italian sausage, and chorizo so far. And in lots of different form factors, right? So, 
it's not just one form factor. It's some of them are grilled strips that are pre-cooked. Some of them are meatballs. We have Thai meatballs. We have pork gyoza. So it's plant-based mm -hmm. pork inside of gyoza and people love them. They're selling incredibly well. That's fantastic. So um, when I think about the variety of different proteins and kind of textures and flavors you're going after, the first thing that comes to mind is like, how do you achieve that? <laughs> like, what's, are you using, I know some companies are using um, proteins based on soy, some are using pea, like, how do you, how do you, what kinds of plants go into a plant-based meat? Yeah. So, you know, different companies choose different plant proteins. Um, we sampled, oh, we've gone through so many iterations over the years and, um, we landed on soy. We landed on non-GMO soy as mm -hmm. um, our platform. Some of our meats, our white meats, have a little bit of non-GMO wheat in them as well. Um, but, you know, as you know, you can get all the essential amino acids from plant foods. And, um, you know, all plant foods and all animal, animal foods contain all of the essential amino acids. It just varies in proportion. So, people get a little worried about that. But we did decide that that was going to be the best. It gives the best texture, the best flavor. It doesn't sort of have that aftertaste that pea protein can have. It also digests really well um, so that, you know, you don't feel any um, bloating or whatever that some other proteins can, can give you. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's a lot of myths out there about soy but we find that more and more people are choosing to eat it because they're learning that it is actually um, heart healthy, um, that it's packed with, you know, phytonutrients and um, it's just, you know, high quality and has all the amino acids that we need. So it's rich in fiber and it has iron, potassium, magnesium, and phosphorus. So those are all good things for us to have in our diets. That's great. Well, I guess another question that the audience may be wondering about, we've heard in the news recently that there are some, there's some interest now in kind of lab-grown meats and lab-grown meats are different from plant-based meats, right? Yeah, they are. Um, they're quite different. And I think, you know, the reason that everybody's talking about them is because it's sort of the bright, shiny object right now, but it has considerable challenges around scaling and safety. And, you know, it's potentially decades away from USDA, FDA approval. So it's difficult to try to grow mammal cell cultures without antibiotics and yeah. without fetal bovine serum. Um, and it's certainly, as I said, that shiny object that VCs and visionaries who have perhaps been deeply, haven't been as deeply immersed in this category as we have for as long. So what's frustrating for us, is attracting all the funding, but we have the existing technologies today that are scalable today that could relatively quickly displace animal meat completely. And I think there was an article last week from Pat Brown, who was the founder of Impossible. And of course, he's famous for saying, let's displace all animal meat uh, by 2035. And they are a plant-based meat company like we are. They are not a lab-grown company. So, you know, it's possible. We just need to scale. We need the funding. We need to do it. We have the technology already available to us. 
Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is so true. Sometimes we get, especially in like kind of fast paced venture capital, there's always interest around like the new shiny object in the room. But I mean, I grow mammalian cells in my lab. I can tell you they need fetal bovine serum and antibiotics to keep the culture, you know, growing. So it is, I mean, it's an interesting idea, but I think, I think we are pretty far away from, 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 like you said, the science and scale. Um, let, let's talk a bit more about the formulation of, of the plant-based foods, because I think that's also kind of a, it's an interesting area of science with kind of food processing and food technology. And what can you share with us about what goes into getting these, these different animal-like flavors and textures? Because you listed quite a number of things, things that taste like crab versus a pork sausage versus yeah. chicken. I mean, yeah. I would imagine that you've got to use very, you know, an assortment of ingredients to achieve those textures and flavors. How does that all come together? So we, um, we have, a lot of it is trial and error. So we, Todd and mm -hmm. I self-funded this for um, a long time before we brought in uh, chefs and scientists to sort of work it out. So, you know, meat at its component parts is just protein plus fat plus flavor, right? So, mm -hmm. and then we decided on the platform of non-GMO soy and wheat to give us that mouth um, taste and texture, which was really important. And we also really wanted to make sure that um, our meats were healthy. As I said, zero cholesterol, hormones, or antibiotics. Um, so we have very few ingredients. I wanted to say this, about 10 in the okay. case of our beef, um, which is about half of the total ingredients of other players in this space, um, all non-GMO, you know, packed with protein and fiber, half the calories, a fraction of the fat, you know, saturated of conventional meat and other plant-based meats. Um, and so a lot of it was trial and error. A lot of it is combining the ingredients. A lot of it is the temperature in which you do so, um, the order in which you do so, the pressure under which you, you know, combine them, uh, all of that. So it's, um, it's, not rocket science, but it is very precise. Very precise. Yeah, I can imagine. No. Yeah, that's a good point about pressure and temperature and order of ingredients, you know. Well, I mean, even if you're thinking about baking like a simple, you know, cake or something, all those are important. Aspects. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have to do it in the right order and a lot of trial and error. And then when our chefs get it right, they you know, get so excited and the Slack channel lights up and it's like, guys, we have the new breakfast sausage and it's killer. And we oh, got to awesome. demo it at Expo West. And so, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I was bummed I missed Expo West this year. I, it looks, it looked like it was an amazing meeting. Yeah. It was, you know, in previous years, there've been up to 90,000 people attendees wow. there, which is kind of crazy. This year, they said there were about 60,000. Um, it was actually our first year to have a booth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had three of our chefs were there and we had nine people all together. And, oh, my gosh, it was a beehive. It was so much fun to start telling our story uh, to consumers, but also, you know, people who are brokers or, you know, there were, everybody who's anybody just shows up who loves food, who's interested in what's the new great thing. And yeah. how are we going to solve, you know, climate change uh, with the foods we eat? I mean, that's becoming increasingly popular to 
look at it through that lens. And I know that's something that has definitely driven me uh, from a very young age. You know, I could see this climate catastrophe on the horizon as a young child, actually, in the 70s. I was very, very concerned. And um, it's just so empowering to know that the foods that we choose to eat have are the biggest input, you know, that we have personally into creating um, a better environment, right? And to reducing, for instance, our meats reduce greenhouse gases by 90%, water by 90%, and land about 70%, depending on the protein. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very compelling, especially for people who are my kids' age. You know, I, I like to say I have skin in the game. I have two kids that I've raised plant-based and they're very concerned about the world that we are bequeathing them and they want to know what they can do about it, you know? So we find a lot of young people are very open to hearing our messaging and to going out and, and purchasing our meats. Yeah, that's a really good point. The the amount of land that we currently have dedicated globally towards raising some of these core crops, including soy, is like a major contributor to this. But the level of soy needed to grow a cow or a pig is different from the level of soy needed to make a direct food product. And so, um, yeah, reducing reducing the amount of animal feed production would and land use by animals would be of, of great help, I think, to the environment. Absolutely. And I, you know, I get that a lot from people. Well, why are you using soy? You know, soy is a monocrop, blah, blah, blah. Well, we are using soy, but it is domestically sourced. It is non-GMO. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people look at the Amazon, you know, and, and the deforestation happening there, um, something like, you know, 90% of the soy grown is, is grown there. And it's, it's grown to be fed to animals mm-hmm. who are then fed more water and grazed on land and then shipped to slaughterhouses and then, you know, turned into XYZ product. Um, it's just not sustainable. Right. Um, so yeah, we do use soy, but it, again, it's non-GMO and domestically sourced. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, I want to get into some of the personal story because I think this is something interesting is like, you know, as a, as a founder of a business like this, like how did this all come together? I know you co-founded with your brother. Like what was that journey like? Yeah, well, you know, the journey started out for me in rural Missouri, actually in the 1970s. I'm one of three kids. My brother, my younger brother is my co-founder and our younger sister is an uh, OBGYN. Um, and also plant-based and uses that, you know, in her practice with her patients. And so in the 70s, um, you know, I would, as a youngster during family dinners, I would, you know, look at my plate and I would say, who did this used to be, mom? (laughs) Which was not very (laughs) popular. Um, And, you know, I was that kid who would go out and like, after a big rain, I'd go rescue the earthworms and put them back, you know, into the grass (laughs) and dogs that were dumped on the rural county roads where we grew up and birds that would fall out of nests and stuff. So I just sort of came into the world an animal lover and animal empath. And uh, we had dogs and cats and bunnies and chickens and all of it. And, um, and then as I grew up, I sort of I really love this Dolly Parton quote. You've probably heard it. Find out who you are and do it on purpose. And I'm like, okay, that's me. I'm (laughs) going to find out who am I. Um, And then, you know, I was also this nerdy kid that had 
all kinds of um, quotes taped to my wall. And one of them was from Chief Seattle, which is, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors, but we borrow it from our children. And so, you know, I was a wildlife photographer for many years. It was in Antarctica in the 1980s. And then I had another business. And then um, Todd, who's a very successful businessman of his in his own right, you know, came to me and he said, hey, you know, we're kind of embarking on the second half of our life here. What do we want to do to meaningfully move the needle um, on personal and planetary health, which ended up being our mission statement. And we were kind of casting about for, gosh, what should it be? And then it's like, it's the nice. food, stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, it is the lowest common denominator of human existence, right? We, if we're lucky, we all get to eat food three times a day or a snack and have a little bit more. Um, but that is the biggest single lever for change. And so that's sort of how we came about it. And we just, we, we like each other a whole bunch. A lot of people think we're married and I'm like, no, gosh, no, brother. I'm the older (laughs) sister. Can't you tell? So, um, yeah, I just think there's so many unintended consequences, right. For our health and the environment and the animals with the food we eat. And we just wanted to have that conversation and build a bigger tent and invite more people in. And, you know, our business is not for vegans and vegetarians. I've been eating plant-based, as I said, forever. So it's not really for me. It's Mm -hmm. for the 95% of flexitarians out there for, you know, who for health or environmental or animal welfare reasons want to eat differently, want to eat more plants are plant curious, as you said earlier, which is a great, which is a great term, right? Because it's so inviting. And when you say to people, so you're flexitarian, you know, and then they go, oh yeah, I am. (laughs) It's like, it sort of dawns on them and they love that term. And I'm like, well, welcome to Hungry Planet. You know, we are here for you. So (laughs) that's how it kind of all started. And Todd became plant-based, you know, maybe 35 years ago. And uh, I was about 45 years ago before I knew anybody that was, or before the term plant-based had been coined, or I didn't know the word vegan, nothing. I just was like, I'm not eating animals anymore. I'm moving on to plants, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, um, so when you guys formed this and then tell us about, I know you recruited a chef to help you build out the products. What was that process like? And kind of, I'm just curious, what's the supply chain development like? Like how do you get products from concept phase into like product creation and then into stores? So starting with the chef question, um, because we are a chef crafted company um, and deliciousness comes first, followed by nutrition you know, we realized that we needed to really build out our team of chefs. And we were at a food show on the East Coast really early days. And Chef Ron DeSantis was sauntering by and Todd said, excuse me, you know, would you like to taste this crab? And Chef Ron reached down, popped it in his mouth and said, oh, that, you know, that's delicious crab and started walking away. And Todd was like, well, excuse me, (laughs) that's plant-based crab. (laughs) And Chef Ron, who was uh, head of dining at Yale University at the time and had come from, I don't know, 30 years at the Culinary Institute of America, which is, you know, the preeminent institute for learning about culinary skills. 
he was gobsmacked. And so he sort of backtracked and said, what the heck are you people doing here? And why have I not heard about you before? And I want to come work for you. We're like, well, it's just me and Todd right now, but okay, we'll let you know. So, you know, Chevron has been great. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, we now have five full-time chefs and we have lots of other chefs that, you know, are influencers and work with us and work with our meats. But, um, it was really important to us that they be omnivores, right? That they come from a background in conventional meat and know what it tastes like, know, know yeah. what it smells like, you know? And for instance, um, our chief commercial officer, Brad Johnson, who I work very closely with on a daily basis, he grew up in Eastern Colorado on a sheep ranch. So nice. <laughs> they did not name their sheep because they had to eat their sheep, right? And now when we cook our lamb products, um, you know, the chefs will walk down the hallway and I'll be in a Zoom with Brad and Brad's head will crane around and this arm will reach in with something that is some beautiful lamb kebab or something. And, you know, he just stuffs it in his mouth and his eyes roll back in his head. He's like, <laughs> oh, that tastes just like what I grew up with. Well, I, on the other hand, cannot even smell our lamb. Like I go running the other direction. It has fooled dignitaries in the Middle East um, wow. who, and even one person who loves lamb is highly allergic to lamb. We told him this is plant-based lamb. He put it in his mouth. He started chewing and he ran to the trash can and spit it out and he got all red and he said, I'm allergic to lamb. I, I, there must be lamb in here. I'm, I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I need my EpiPen. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that's why we really went to chefs, right? Because it has to have the aromatics. It has to have yeah. the texture, has to have the taste, all those things that we've talked about that create, you know, adoption by the largest, you know, range of people, not just early adopters, like, vegans and vegetarians like myself, because that's a very small pool of people. And then they want to move on. They want to go back to their whole food diet, which is pretty mm -hmm. much what I, what I eat. Um, so, and you had another yeah. question, sorry. What, oh no. yeah. And the question, so, well, uh, to follow on to this before I jump to the next one was, you know, so like for products like the lamb, is it sold like a kind of like a raw meat that you cook or is it kind of like a pre-cooked or is there a variety of options? Like what, what yeah. Yeah. So for the lamb, it's the lamb is different from a lot of our other meats. So right now it is just um, in a comes in a five pound chub. So it's in food service only because mm -hmm. there's not a lot of people in North America who would perhaps buy lamb on the on the retail side. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, a lot of our business is um, all of our meats, including our lamb, in five-pound frozen chubs. All of our meats move through the supply chain frozen with okay. an 18-month uh, shelf life, which is pretty great. So here you're showing uh, the Italian sausage, uh, which is my personal favorite. I love to throw it into all kinds of things, including bolognese and lasagna and um, you know, just wrap it up in tortillas. It's, it's absolutely delicious. Um, so the lamb is just in ground, but, you know, we have a lot of different form factors for our meat. So we have um, raw patties. Uh, we have pre-cooked patties. We have grilled and roasted strips, which you're showing here. These are the uh, chicken strips. 
These also come diced. And then we have lots of ready-to-heat items that are, you know, pre-cooked so they're super easy. For instance, with the chicken, um, you can just cut it, you know, slack it out in the refrigerator and then cut it up and put it on a Caesar salad cold. You don't have to cook it up first, which is cuts out that step for people, you know, during these very busy times. And then I mentioned um, we have the uh, pork gyoza, um, which is selling really, really well at Sprouts and Albertson Safeway and, and other markets across the country. And nobody else really has that right now. We did sample that at Expo West and those just flew off the counter. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are so tasty. So what's your vision for the company? I mean, when did you guys found, first of all, how many years ago was it? So, you know, we were, as I mentioned, we were self-funded for many, many mm -hmm. years before we sort of started to professionalize. So we like to put the marker out there at about 2015 mm -hmm. when the writing became on the wall and we, you know, was on the wall and we started thinking, okay, you know, it might be time to step into this more fully and, uh, you know, take it from sort of a side hustle uh, to something that was front and center and hundred hour weeks for, you know, yeah. years actually, <laughs> you know how that is. So, um, yeah, I, you know, we, we've grown, we're about 40 employees now we've got, um, you know, every, we've got a lot of people on the operations side who are, uh, actively working on supply chain issues. I'm sure you've heard that supply chain is broken. Mm -hmm. It was challenging before COVID two years ago, and it is absolutely a wreck right now. Um, and so we have highly talented people who have lots of experience in food that we've been able to bring on board because, you know, our our background isn't in food. It's it's in wanting to change the world <laughs> through food. And so you realize, you know, where your deficiencies are and you bring those people on board. And um, it's just, it's such a great team and we are making such great, pro you know, progress together. That's awesome. So wh what stores, um, what's your distribution situation like right now and where do you think you're going with it? Yeah, so first of all, I wanna um, say that you know, you've heard of spins data, probably. Um, a lot of us in the retail um, sector pay a lot of attention to the spins data to sort of know how we're performing in the market, right? Mm -hmm. And so it turns out that we actually have the most successful launch of a plant-based meat brand in terms of velocity and distribution in the past two years, which is Great. really exciting because we only have raised $25 million to date. And some of our competitors have raised 100, 150, 200 million. And they're often single threaded. They just do chicken, for instance, whereas mm -hmm. we have nine proteins. So, yeah. you, you know, you can find us in um, all the Sprouts locations. There's about 362 Sprouts. We're in Albertsons and Tom Thumb and Randall's in the Southern U.S., and we've recently added hundreds of Albertsons in Northern California. We're now in Hawaii. Um, we're in Seattle. We're in Food Bazaar on the East Coast. And uh, we're available in Costco and Amazon. But our big announcement coming up, and I probably shouldn't say this, Todd might get mad, but we are <laughs> moving into the Weiss markets. It's about 200 markets on the East Coast. And the very cool thing about it is that they are taking 11 of our retail SKUs, which is phenomenal. I mean, if you can get, you know, a retailer to take 
two, you're mm-hmm. doing really great. And if three is kind of hitting it out of the park. So to take That's 11 great. is fantastic. And it gives you that nice billboard, you know, so when you're walking by, you just, you see it and you get attracted to it. You come up and take a look. And that's when you see this incredible variety. That's amazing. Well, like as you're speaking, I'm thinking of something that, you know, I, I tell my students every year, I teach a course called food health and society. And I try to challenge them to think about how can they make the planet a better place? How can you improve human and planetary health? And, um, you know, one of the things that I try to encourage is also um, innovation. And so for all the students that, you know, are out there that might be thinking, you know what, someday, you know, I want to maybe think about launching a new food product. You know, I'm really, I've really been pushing into my phagey for a lot of them. Like I'm waiting on the next great bug burger to come out. <laughs> I think it's a very, it's a very exciting area of, you know, it's, it's still very much in its infancy, I think, in terms of like of spread in the West, but I don't know, just as in terms of alternate proteins, but whether it's plant or insect or whatever kind of source, like what advice do you have for for people that are interested in in kind of thinking about how do they innovate in this space? Because we're going to need more innovation. The, The current, the current, you know, status quo of just, you know, decimating our remaining tropical forest to grow animal feed is not is not okay that's we can't do that in the long haul so we need better solutions for plant-based or insect-based or other more sustainable based you know low water consuming um Mm -hmm. you know solutions so what would you tell that kind of student or that kind of person based on your experience yeah well you know first of all i would say that just coming from food that food is humankind's, you know, biggest common denominator, right? And so thus it is our biggest opportunity for positive change. And Mm -hmm. the thing that catches me up, and I'm sure you know the statistic too, but somehow we managed to feed 80 billion land animals per year. And yet we cannot feed the nearly 8 billion, you know, human family members that we have lot of starvation globally, right? And Mm -hmm. so we have enough food. We just need to be feeding it directly to ourselves and not running it through animals first. So I don't know. I I think it's a really exciting time right now because there are so many incredibly intelligent, creative, thoughtful people who are starting to meaningfully step into this gigantic opportunity and this challenge with their skills and their expertise. And, you know, the younger generations have inherited this massive problem. So I think they're highly motivated, probably more than I was even as a kid, um, to solve uh, for these things. So again, I think, you know, you, you find where your passion is and you surround yourself with people who are, you know, also interested in solving those kinds of problems. Um, it's really cool when you can have a co-founder, whether it's a sibling or a spouse or just another scientist that you've you know come into contact with. There's lots and lots of companies that have started um, that way, and um, and then you know you have to identify the problem, right? What is the problem you're trying to solve, and then just really focus on it and um, bring all your learning and your passion 
your enthusiasm, your intelligence, your emotional intelligence uh, to bear on it and, um, and keep moving forward one step after the next because it's a heavy lift. I mean, there is no question. You know, our food system is so broken right now. It's so cruel and inefficient and um, it can't continue the way it is. It'll, yeah. You know, like I think I read that if, if we all eat like North Americans eat, we would need five earths. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, we can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing this. This is like, it's been, it's been really interesting to see, you know, how this industry is, is evolving and exciting to see such a variety of products coming out. And I've got to, yeah. I've got to head over to Sprouts and try some of your products. I have, I have a Sprouts in my neighborhood. I can, oh, I can good. visit. Yeah. So thanks good. so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And you know, if you follow us on social media, we make all kinds of cool announcements all the time and we have giveaways and stuff too. And, um, you know, at Hungry Planet Foods. So if you follow us there, we would love to have you join our growing community um, and help spread the word about our delicious and nutritious plant-based meats. Awesome. <laughs> You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. I want to send a shout out of thanks to our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth. And thank you to you, our listeners who tune in every week. Stay healthy out there and I'll see you next time. <laughs>